And it says in Jude, about verse 17, 18, and 19, and then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll finish it up, and then we'll have the missionary two weeks from today. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken of, of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that verse in verse 2. We could park there. We'll park there in just a minute. But beloved, what a name. What a name. Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual or worldly, having not the Spirit. That last phrase, having not the Spirit. You know from your own Bible studies, if you do not have the Spirit of God indwelling you, you are not a child of God. And so that's such a sad commentary. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, next few moments, uh, we, I pray that you help me to speak clearly. Help us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, as Adelie just saying. Lord, may, may we... Uh, We praise you, Christ, be praised in our lives this week. And so, Lord, for the many hurting people, those ill at home this evening, those traveling this coming week, I think of Chris and Amy traveling back from Africa, I think, next couple of days. Stevens is back from Vermont into the week. I pray you watch over each one, and may our lives reflect uh, what you have done in them to the lost and dying world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we find, first of all, uh, people addressed. And I'll tell you when to start filling in your outline. When we get to there, I will tell you the people addressed and the problem addressed. First of all, there's the people, but beloved, this is, he's sort of stopping, getting ready to stop his impassioned exposure of the apostasy of the church, sort of tying in with this morning's message, the apostasy of the church gone away from God. But, you know, apostasy couldn't exist in the church if there wasn't another word beginning with A, apathy. So that's why we titled this Asleep at the Kneel, K-N-E-L. So we're asleep at the kneel at time because we have become apathetic as a church overall, I believe. It says in Matthew 13, 25, that while men slept, the enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat. So while the rank and file believers are busy with other good important things, the apostates are able then to come in by stealth and insinuate themselves. That's why I believe in C. B-T, not C-R-T, C-B-T, critical Bible thinking, critical biblical thinking. So we, that's why I ask you questions all the time. I want you to start thinking biblically so that you can answer them. Why do we do this? Why, why are you here? What's the purpose of your life? So it says there in the very beginning, verse seven, uh, 17, but beloved, remember. So he's going to wake up the believers in the fellowship, uh, those who have been invaded, churches have been invaded and stolen, institutions subverted. We find that the, the false teachers have wiggled themselves in, if you would, and so many religious things, a term of endearment. I was trying to think, now, Mrs. Stevenson, can you help me out? What was your husband's name for Ron? He had a little nickname. What do you call him? Dirtbag. Thank you. So the first time I heard Pastor Wayne call Ron Dirtbag, I was so unlike him to call him that, Dirtbag. So Pastor Wayne's like one of the easiest going people I've ever met, one of the most godly men I've ever met. Uh, but he called his son-in-law Dirtbag. I thought, hmm. Was that when they started dating Sheila? Is that when he started that? Yes, started dating his daughter. So there we go. I don't think he could. I never, uh, he did not because I, that's the first time right at the end there that uh, I ever heard that. So, so a term of endearment. I have in terms, I'm going to share them with you for my wife. She has them for me. That's her own uh, terms of endearment. 
But the Bible says we're believers, we're disciples, we're chosen, we are the Christians, we are uh, sheep, we are these different things. But this beloved, matter of fact, in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Really, a name for God himself in the form of Jesus. So uh, what a wonderful name it was. Even said of Barnabas in 1525 of Acts, it seemed good unto them being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Other people in the, in the New Testament called beloved is Amplius and Prisus and Prisus and there was Tychius, Onesimus, I'm a name massacre tonight, Luke, Apphia, Philemon. Uh, Paul and Timothy, all of them. And then Song of Solomon, the name of all the names of Song of Solomon, beloved. So when you hear this, remember, beloved, that's God's name for us, not for the apostates. It's for those who have trusted Christ as personal Savior. He, he has a love for us, an everlasting love. He died for the world, yes. And he loved them so much he died for them. But he has, there's a special love. He even calls us beloved. So what a wonderful thing it is. God's general term of endearment for each and all. I, I suppose dirtbag was the term of endearment, but maybe not when it first started, but I think now Ron proves himself to be outstanding son-in-law and outstanding pastor now even. So uh, we praise the Lord for Ron. So, so the, the martyr who is facing flame and fury, the intrepid missionary blazing trails in a dark continent, and the weakest newborn Christian, we could all rest in this. God calls us his beloved, that he, that he loves me, that he loves me. So my, I know it, it's a new message, but my wife took a picture of Hissy Missy. Some reason she got up on the chair with me today, and she was laying there, and she took a picture of Hissy Missy, and we sent it to the lady who gave her to us. Uh, anyway, they gave her to us, and, and she said, oh, there's, you're starting to learn. And my, my brother said, oh, it's nice to have that bonding with the cats. I'm just telling you, we have not bonded. There, there's a, uh, so anyway, that does not happen. And so we... She may look like she's appreciated by me. She's tolerated because I was just petting her not more than five strokes. And she just turns around to bite me. You know, like not the real strong bite, but like stop that bite. So we are, pardon? We, so I stopped. Yes, I stopped. Yes, I did stop. I didn't pet her again after that. Uh, so this is a wonderful word, but Paul is, uh, me, Jude is warning us we are to be on guard. The, the Great Wall of China, but this was just in, the, uh, just in the news last year, I think it was, where people took a, a bobcat and knocked the, wall, knocked the hole in the Great Wall of China. But as you know, after the wall was built, I think it was two or three times that people got through it because they bribed the gatekeepers and they let them through the door. That's what I'm telling you, critical biblical thinking. So when I'm gone off the scene, the next pastor comes on, the next pastor comes on the scene who's remaining here, you have a critical biblical knowledge of what's in the word of God. And we go forward with that. This is this is lock, stock, and barrel. He magnifies his word above his name. The psalmist, if you read that this morning, that 132, 138, verse 2. He magnifies his word above his name. I'm telling you, this this is if, if we don't have this, I, we should lock the door and never come back. If you're throwing our Bibles up, lock it up. Go home and work at work seven days a week, whatever. But with this, we're encouraged to one another. We're challenged. We're to, let's see what God has for the future. So the people address the beloved. Two is the problem addressed. Verse 17 as well. We find there it says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, then what we must recall 
We see, we are to recall what has been taught. It says, it's the doctrine of the apostles, the teaching. Teaching and doctrine are the same thing. Teaching of the apostles. By the time uh, Jude wrote, most of the books of the New Testament had been written and were already in circulation. Apostles means one who is sent. Literally, a sent one conveys the basic idea of mission, one who goes on uh, a mission, if you would, or a job. They're an apostle. They are an uh, ambassador, etc. One tells things. uh, In the Greek, uh, one Greek writer gives a picture of meaning of apostolos, which is a cargo ship sent out with a load. So you and I have been sent out with the load of what God has said about various things, and we are through our life and testimony and words to share that. But the church had no excuse really to be deceived by the apostates. This word remember. But we cannot remember something we've never known. So we are to remember what we've been taught. And so revival comes to those who have once been alive. And so revival cannot come to the unsaved. Revival comes to us. That's why revivalists typically have their ministry in churches. They don't typically go out into the middle of the unbelieving crowd and preach. Now, they want unbelievers to hear the gospel and be saved, yes, but they go to churches because it's we who need the reviving. It's important that we lay a good foundation in the Word of God. Listening to a message this weekend, the guy says, we should know about the, the mysteries of the New Testament. And so I was looking up, how many mysteries are there? There's like at least 11, some, depends on who you're looking at, how you want to branch them off. But there's a lot of mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. But the mystery is not like a clue. Where you're trying to find who killed so-and-so, the, the, law, the, law, the, law, the gardener, I don't think, the general in the library with the candlestick. He's the one that did the murder, so that's a, that's a clue game. That's not it. The mystery is something in the Old Testament we weren't just sure about. Being unveiled in the New Testament, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That probably is going to be the text for tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon's uh, burial. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep. What is sleep? That's not for the unbeliever. That's for the believer. The Bible never uses the word sleep for death. For the unbeliever, it's, it's us. So when you lay that body into the ground, etc., they're gone. They're already in heaven, etc. But the sleep is for those who are resting in our mind's eye, their bodies resting for the change. God's able to put it all back together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not do for Humpty Dumpty. What are God's going to do for all of us in just, just a moment of time? It's going to be great. So here we go. Are you ready for your outline? If you want to follow along, the Christian. Now, so here we are. We are to understand and to read and study and be able to, I like what Philip says, master the documents in the New Testament. Now, that's a tall order to master. I think I've mastered nothing in the Bible except mastering how little bit I know. I'm working on it, though. It's like you see a great piano player play, and sometimes you see a great piano player play, and you'll say, wow, I'm just going to give up. But that's not what we should do. I was, talk, I was tuning a piano on Friday, Mr. Gentile's uh, piano, and uh, he has a son just starting to take lessons. I said, I didn't start until I was 14, so don't give up. Keep going on. He told me the saddest story. I'm not having to get off on this, but he, uh, his, he said, my mom made me practice the piano. And it was an, and the the piano I was tuning was he was one he played on as a boy and she would, and she made him go into the unheated room, and practice the piano and he'd hear his family out there having a good time and he'd have to practice and if he missed a day he had to go back and make up that day so from one and a half hours to three hours the next day he said I even got gloves and put on my hands to try to play the keys and so he 
played the piano till the seventh grade, and then he decided to go to the voice, and well, a very nice voice he has, and he went that direction. He said, there were two guys, in, two guys in, in our same class, and we were competing. I stopped playing the piano. He now is like an organ master for some college up somewhere playing on the organ. Has, he gave me video tubes of him playing, YouTube of him playing. But we are to master. Don't give up. When we say, well, here's someone who has such a far exceeding knowledge of God's word doesn't mean, oh, I'm just going to close them. I'm not going to do that ever again because I'll never, you'll never get there. But what does God want for us? Moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. He's going to reward us for our faithfulness and not throwing in the towel. Bob Jones Sr. said, do right till the stars fall. Always too soon to quit. Here we go. For the Christian is beliefs. We're going to go rapid, uh, repeatamente. The Christian has beliefs. There are the, the writings that deal with first, which are fundamental. The four Gospels set before us the person of Christ. Belief and persons are your two blanks. Romans then sets before us the principles of Christianity. So here the, the very foundations are the four Gospels and then the principles of Christianity we find in the book of Romans. All st- the, the, the principles we find in God's word, we all we stand or fall upon these teachings. So Paul then takes some great facts and formulates them into the epistle of the Romans, is your next blank, our word, into a great soteriology, soteriology uh, doctrine of salvation. Soteriolo- soteriological, I can't say that word. Soteriology, thank you. There's a big, I had to put a syllable somewhere else. Anyway, he formulates that into uh, what? For all sin comes short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, etc., etc., etc. So he formulates that into Romans. Not only that which is fundamental, secondly, that which is false. There are letters dealing with antagonism of the faith, legalism, Gnosticism, Judaism, raise their heads. Paul dealt with these adequately in Galatians, Colossians, Hebrews, the liberty of Christian in Galatians, the lordship of Christ in Colossians, and the legitimacy of the church in Hebrews. All vindicated by the Holy Spirit. The enemy's early attacks on the church blew up in its face as the Holy Spirit inspired the great apostles to answer Satan's lies and distortions. The epistles then defended against the attack. So dealing with antagonism, defended against the attack. Not only the principal teachings of Christianity, but also the principal teacher of Christianity, the apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired answer to the critics. There were also letters dealing with apostasy from the faith, Second Peter, Second Timothy, and our very own Jude we're looking at now. So then the only, which is fundamental, which was false, that which was future, the rapture of the church, the rupture of society, and the return of the Lord. Now he's illiterate to the hilt, Dr. Phillips is. Themes taken up by First and Second Thessalonians and Revelation. So, so far we've got the, <clears throat> the church, the Christian and his beliefs, all these things we're learning about the New Testament. Those are summation points. And now, the Christian and his brethren. So, first of all, the origin of the church. What book gives us the origin of the church? Book of Acts. The operation of the church. 1 Corinthians. The local church. Ephesians, the larger church. The officers of the church. 1 Timothy and Titus. One does not become an officer of the church by popular vote or because one's education, social status, or success in business. If those were the criteria, one could be as carnal as a goat and still aspire to the position and power in the church. So, the Christian and his beliefs, his brethren, and his behavior at the end. The epistle to the Philippians deals with situations. Philemon deals with what? Slavery. James emphasizes sincerity. First Peter is suffering. 
Come Sunday morning for Sunday school here in adult class. First John to do with sonship is your last bank. Sonship. Second John is separation. And third John deals with strife. There we are. 27 books in two minutes, three minutes. And that's the theme of those books. And so I thought it quite helpful to me to remind me the overall theme of why we have these books. Similar to when's the last time you read Second John other than reading your Bible through. Well, not, not in a while. So help us to understand why God allowed these and why they're here for, and et cetera. So back to our uh, main part of our message then. So every believer then is expected to master the documents CBT, critical biblical thinking. And that's homemade. That's not really a real act. By the way, an acronym. Uh, I, have, I have a new position now at the uh, office, and I was given a, just for water alone, 12 pages of an acronyms. 12 pages of a, you know, it's like, uh, uh, whatever, you know, revolve RLF, DLF, CBDG, all these different things. What does it stand for? What well, you have to know. So here you start dialing through here, clean water, wastewater, all this stuff. Anacronyms, what, so CRT, no, but CBT, yes, critical biblical thinking. So moral principles, prophecies, all these things together, we need to be studying, and, and there's, there's, Instead of unhooking the Old Testament, we should incorporate the Old Testament. 250 express Old Testament quotations in the New. There are 2,606 references from the Old Testament in the New. So you can't simply say, I'm going to put away the Old Testament as superstitious thinking by men, or uh, thinking thinking about superstitious men, whatever, etc. No, we're going to say it's God's word to mankind as well. Now, I have to tell you, the New Testament offers a lot more for us, practically speaking, but the Old Testament is just as important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, the problem addressed, there's what we must recall. Secondly, what we must recognize. Recognize, starting in verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Mockers false teachers. There was a pastor was at a train station and a group of people were passing out tracts, etc., passing out literature, not real tracts. And a group member approached him and said, would you take a survey? He said, yes. And one question regarded Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the spirit and the bride say, come. You know that verse? And she said, who do you think the bride is in Revelation twenty two seventeen? 17? And he replied to the church. She replied, read it te- carefully. It's God the mother. God the mother, the spirit, and the bride say, come. And so be careful because people will take things and twist them to their own advantage and try to teach some erroneous doctrine. The Bible never talks about God as a mother in Scripture. God is always male. There are three occasions when the spirit is called it, or referred to as it, but that doesn't mean that it was put it together there. And it is fine in that purpose, in that trend, that when it was rendering, but the New Testament always has, the Bible always has God as male, not, not female. And so don't let those three difficult places say, oh, we got, no, there's nothing to change. God is always male, always has been, always will be. Humorous. So there was, there was a uh, traveling evangelist, uh, and he would always put on a, he would go to a church and he'd put on a grand finale. And so he would have a little boy sit up in the loft and he would have a, a, a dove. And at the right time, the boy would release the dove, and the dove would come flying down into the church service. It's quite, quite, uh, quite moving, I guess. So t- toward the end of the service, he would shout, and the Holy Spirit came down. And at that time, the boy would release the dove. So he went to this church, 
a great revival meeting, and it was the last night, and the preacher called for the Holy Spirit to come down, and nothing happened. So he raised, and then the Holy Spirit came down, and nothing happened again. Finally, he heard a little voice and said, Preacher, preacher, he said, the yellow cat just ate the Holy Spirit. Shall I throw the cat down? So, so we have to be on our guard what we must recognize false things when they happen. The find the number one under here is the mind of the apostate. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. The one guy I listen to quite often, he says, everything in Scripture, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, I always want to do what exalts God the most. I like that. The one that ex- always exalts and says the greatest admiration and holiness of our God. That's what I want to promote, and that's what we should be promoting. Not be scoffing, not be mocking. We find in 2 Peter chapter three, 2, verse 3. Uh, now, there are some who have more of a, a little bit of a leeway, if you would. The soldiers at the cross, perhaps they'd never been trained in Christian things, knew nothing of it, and so their behavior was typically a soldier at the cross. However, I believe the one centurion trusted Christ as Savior there. Uh, but Herod... Herod had this career of religious infamy by murdering the John the Baptist who, who scalded his conscience with his preaching and ended by mocking, and mocking Jesus. He has no excuse. Herod knew. He had a chance to release Jesus. Herod Antipas had opportunity. When he stands before God, there's going to be a lot on his plate that he's going to have to answer for, I believe, personally. Surely such... These men who have seen Christ and saw him work these miracles, there's going to be a higher level of responsibility than those who live their entire lives and never hear the gospel and go out into eternity. These those who heard the gospel here in America over and over and said, no, 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 I believe there's going to be more required of them in, in eternity. There's going to be to whom much is given, much is required, to few stripes and many stripes. I believe the Bible bears out those. I think the, most per, the person who will suffer the most forever is going to be the devil because he's been done the most to harm the cause of Christ. We find it, but there's been ignorance, and sometimes there's intentional ignorance, godless men. Uh, there's always, it seems, have been those who want to disrupt things. As a matter of fact, we always go back to G- Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are happily go lucky in the garden, but Satan doesn't like that. Can't get back at God, so I'm going to get back at Adam and Eve. So that way, if we get back at Adam and Eve, then we get back at God. But they've managed to, to infiltrate the Word of God. And so we have whole denominations who have sold themselves onto more of a social understanding or more of a liberal ideology where anything goes. It was just St. Patrick's Cathedral just two weeks ago, or last week it was, when they allowed a funeral for an adamant transgender activists in, in the, the same kind of uh, activist that they had said no, no, no to for years now had the funeral inside and we understand the funeral was very debauchery type things at the funeral. And so, of course, now St. Pat's has gotten in trouble for that. But if you're not, when you start loosening your standards, we're going to go in a very bad direction, spiritually speaking. So they've always, there's always been the false teachers. It seems like we talked about this morning, they're going to get waxed worse and worse. Interesting, Wearsby says, before Satan can substitute his own lies, he must get rid of the truth of God's word. If he can't argue it away, he will laugh it away. If he can't usually find someone who will laugh with him. See, when we've, we've left off the fundamental belief of absolute truth, so now if you leave that behind, then, I, then we can do whatever you want over here because that's not... So whatever you believe is just as good as somebody else's believes. 
And that's where we are today. The mind of the apostate, what we should uh, re- remember, what we should recognize, secondly, in the mind of the apostate, and then there's the morals of the apostate in verse 18, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Walk after literally going from one place to another, in this case, from one passion to another, chasing and journeying. Uh, We just read recently, uh, always looking, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, that idea. They're always trying to find something new under the sun. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. If you talk about some person who's experienced every single thing you possibly could experience in his life, vanity of vanity, say it to preacher. Trust Solomon in that regard. It speaks of the predominant way of conduct, the prevalent course of their life. What a vivid picture of their blatant disregard for God's holy word and his righteous judgment. It's not an occasional slip up, but the present tense here marks the habitual activity of these false teachers, these those who have walked away from God, their ungodly deeds. He doesn't give us a list of their ungodly deeds, but I can tell you, we, we don't have to have a list. The Bible is so great like that, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, how it doesn't give all the exact details, but it gives enough details so we can understand what was going on, their ungodly lust, living in unrighteous, unholy ways, mockery, ungodly things they would do. The Holy Spirit frequently then links unbelief with the breakdown of the moral fiber of individuals and society alike. Can you not see in our own country when you, back in the 50s, we take the Bible, 60s take the Bible out of our schools, we take the Ten Commandments off in any kind of, in many ways, etc. We take those out and we, we lose the Bible being the center of our basis of our nation. And when you lose that, then something comes in its place. Secularism has come into the place. Secularism, liberalism in the churches. So when the Bible's out, something comes in. And we, we think that's, and we think, oh, we're so much better off. We are not. Jesus not he does, so he doesn't enumerate all the ungodly lusts. He does not have to. It could be lust for money, prestige, power, approval of one's peers, popularity with the crowd, etc. Based moral sins mentioned elsewhere in this epistle, etc. Sins that are condoned, if not practiced, in many churches and by theologians today. Spurgeon says, a prophecy which has been abundantly fulfilled, this is. You need not go far to find them. They come in the form of living men, and they swarm in the form of their books. They are to be met with almost everywhere, like the locusts. They fill the air and hide the light of the sun. They shall come in in the last day's coffers. Every time a blasphemer opens his mouth, femur opens his mouth, to deny the truth of revelation, he will help to confirm us in our conviction of the very truth which he denies. The Holy Spirit told us by the pen of Peter that it would be so. So when they say no, it's like you never, you never replicate something that's not true or something that has no no value. That's why the Bible is replicated by almost every cult, it seems, not everyone, but they're going to throw the Bible in there somewhere because the Bible is the standard by which people have changed their, changed their lives. And it gives you validity. Well, the Bible, I'll put a little Bible verse here, a little Bible verse there, or we'll do that. It's heinous the way some have taken the Bible verses and used them, turned them completely around to support, support their godless agenda. That's why the context is so important. What does the Bible say? And that verse in context, what is God actually saying? The mind of the apostate, this is what we're to recognize, the morals of the apostate, and thirdly, the move of the apostate, 19. These are they which separate themselves. Apostasy is seen as a great source of division among God's people, and it is rightly so. 
Early in the Christian church, Paul warned, Now I beseech you in 1617 of Romans, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. It's much better to be united in clarity in God's word than, than, than much better to be separated based upon God's word than united in falsehood, etc. So there's nothing wrong with us standing for God's truth. That's what we should be doing. Better to do that than to unite under some kind of an umbrella where everybody comes together, but nobody really believes anything truly all the same thing. They, they have, they, the cultists are sheep stealers. Jehovah's Witness, false witnesses, Mormons, others. Liberal theology has driven an enormous wedge into the church. Its false shepherds keep multiplying ignorance of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And so there's so much confusion. What, what does the Bible really say? What is really involved in becoming a Christian? These are they who separate themselves, separate their emphasizes complete separation. Certainly, liberals have drawn a, a wide division in the church between themselves and those who adhere to historic Christianity. A liberal is basically someone who does not believe what the Bible says. They would say, we know Christ did not raise uh, literally from the grave, was just maybe some kind of a presence or a spiritual raise, but not a bodily resurrection. Oh, Christ wasn't born of a virgin. He wasn't that. And they would just deny the basic, they're not Christians. So you can't deny those things and still be a child of God. So that's why we liberal theologian, I was, but maybe it's a theologian of a, we'll stop right there. But a liberal the, the, if you believe what you read, we're going to believe together. Do you understand if you read the Bible and we read the Bible at the same time and we understand, now there's going to be little nuances, but the basics we are going to believe on. We're going to believe those. Christ died for the world. Christ, Christ loved, loved us so much he came for us. He's God. You cannot read the Bible with a, with a truly open mind and not come to the conclusion, the Bible-centered conclusion that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there, if you truly want... If, see, if you truly... Everybody... If you're a Christian, you understand, you believe what the Bible says. So if you're believing what the Bible says, you're a Christian. If you're something else, if you're any other ism, wasm, wusm, you're not believing the Bible for what it says. So you can't, like, I'm taking the Bible and this and this and this. You know what I'm saying? If, if you truly believe God's word, we're, we're Christians. And that's why we're going to spend eternity together with other Christians. Who believe, who have believed the same thing we believed? What the Bible says. So there's not like a Christianity light or Christianity south or Christianity north or Christianity west or whatever. If you believe what the Bible says, you're a Christian. You're like Christ. Finally, Jude wants us to note not only the mind, the morals, the mood, but also the mark of an apostate. Isaiah said in 8.20, there's no light in them. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Now, if you were to close your letter of condemnation of something or close your letter and you want to make emphasis and the very, you're saving the strongest point to last, you'd write it this way. Of all these other things, having not the Spirit. It's like, closes the book. Game is over. It's, it, it is done. So it says they are sensual, having not the spirit. Apostate is lived by his own senses, etc., on his fleshly desires. 
we find he says uh, does not, doesn't mean lascivious like four or ungodly lust like 16. It refers to any unregenerate person, to any person, no matter what his lifestyle is, no matter what his status in society is, who have never been born of the Spirit. They're out of touch with the Spirit of God. They're, they're living by their own uh, fleshly ability, if you would. Sensual there is soulish, pertains to the soul. Men governed by only that their soul is. The, the self-conscious life which animates their bodies. In biblical usage, the adjective relates to the life of the natural world, whatever belongs to it, in contrast to the supernatural world. It does not refer to the gross lust of the flesh, but rather relates to the powers and endowments of unregenerated human nature, man as he is in Adam. It's a man apart from God. It's a man trying to do things. It's, it's, it's Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. So that's the idea. Three basic types of spiritual lives in the Bible, and we'll close. There is, first of all, the spiritual man. It's a portrait of us, should be. This is the person who's been born again, walking with Christ by the power of God, working in his life, and he, he was obeying God, he's walking with God, he's seeking to serve God, the spiritual man. Secondly, there's the carnal man in Revelation, should be Romans 7, 14, 25. A person who's been born again, yes, but who's not living the victorious Christian life. Carnal, carnal Christian. As a person who, hard to even know they're Christian. I, my wife and I were talking, and we're talking about a, a family on the way up. But I think they've just gotten so busy, they just stopped seeing the importance of church. They're just so busy and not been to church for a long time. And, and that's easy to do. It is easy when you see things, and, they're, and, they're, and perhaps they're even like things they have to do and perhaps work sometimes on Sunday, etc. But it's easy once you stop doing that to get started again. It is really, once you get started, it's like if you're pushing something uphill or you're trying to pull something along and you get stopped, you know, man, I never get, if I don't keep going, if I stop, I'll never get it started again like most of my old vehicles. If I stop, so, so let's just keep it running. Just let it run, 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 and we'll just drive it. when it, That's the carnal Christian. And thirdly, there's the natural man. The natural man, you're probably going to meet several this week. I was thinking, I told Stephanie, I thank the Lord that pretty much I can go, I can go day after day and not hear one cuss word in where I work. I'm so thankful for that. It's a, it's a good environment. But there are a lot of people who not. I remember working at the, some places and it was like blue air. And then not necessarily with you, but you could hear it's one of those where the walls are real thin. I'm like, wow, man, woohoo. And so... That that's the natural man. It is natural for the natural man not to follow God, to do what he wants to do, to live wrong, to commit sin. That's what the natural man does because they don't have the Spirit of God living in him. It's you and me prior to receiving Christ as personal Savior. Praise the Lord for Ethan, trusting Christ at such a young age. Now, the rest of his life, he can serve the Lord. He doesn't have to... Uh, some of us who, some who have not made, but some others who have come in halfway through, like, man, I wish I trusted Christ earlier on. Don't be discouraged by that. Thankful, be thankful God saved you, and from that point on, serve Him. Requires you to be faithful Well, what He's given to you now. Be thankful, and don't get discouraged. Keep going on. So there is the carnal, the spiritual, and the natural man. So, this, this, these people who are infiltrating the church, they have not the Spirit. 
that he's worse, however, than even the ordinary natural man. Many natural men have never so much as heard the gospel. This apostate has heard the good news. He has fully understood the good news. It might be the Hebrews chapter 6 person, perhaps. He's heard the good news, and he turns away from that good news to go on his way. It's the pastors who have said publicly the last couple, three years, I'm just walking away from, I'm deconstructing my religion, I've become an ex-evangelical, and I don't even believe in God. I guess I'm not saved anymore. I guess you're probably not saved anymore. You were not saved in the first place, then. But we would say, not trying to be unkind, they need truly to come to know Christ as Savior. So Jude's going to end there. We have a wonderful conclusion the next time. May God help us to walk with Him this week. May we know the Word of God so when your child or grandchild or great-grandchild comes home from school or hears something on the radio or something, you can say, well, the Bible says this, so we need to look at it from the biblical perspective. And may we always do that with love, not arrogant condemnation. But I want to share with you in a loving way that this is what the Bible says. So... What God says is where it ends. That's it. God's word is the anvil. It's the hammers that break on the anvil. Let us pray. Lord, help us to walk with you this week. Teach us your ways. May our lives be consistent with what a Christian should be. May this pastor be found to be faithful in his Bible reading this week. Studying, language, thoughts, reactions. May that be said of all of us that we will think about serving you. And Lord, as, as sometimes pressure points come, that we'll keep our cool by God's grace and allow you to live your life through us, Jesus, so that we can respond in the right way. So teach us your ways, please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.